Hello and howdy. Welcome back to the Walls of Time Bluegrass Podcast. I told you we might have another treat before Season 3 rolls out, and uh, today's the day. Today would have been J.D. Crow's 85th birthday. Distinguished member of the Bluegrass Music Hall of Fame and one of the finest five-string banjo players of all time, and a dear friend of mine and of the Walls of Time Bluegrass Podcast. Yeah, Mr. Crow was our first uh, episodes on... This very podcast was a two-part interview with J.D. Crow. Uh, we were just uh, starting the podcast in its infancy. Obviously, hadn't even had an episode out. And uh, J.D. Crow was one of the first names I called in my phone and uh, told him what I wanted to do. And he said, come on over. We'll do it. I'll do whatever you want. So we came over, sat down at uh, his kitchen table, and recorded uh, what would... Uh, be the first two episodes of the Walls of Time Bluegrass podcast. So grateful for JD's uh, support and encouragement uh, throughout the years. He and the Mullins family go way back. Of course, uh, JD was around when Dad was uh, trying to learn how to play the banjo. But he and my grandpa were good friends. My grandpa, Paul Moon Mullins, was a fiddle player and a radio broadcaster. And he'll be inducted into the Bluegrass Music Hall of Fame here in 2022. But uh, when J.D. Crow and the Kentucky Mountain Boys would come to Ohio, a lot of times they'd have Papaw sit in on fiddle with them. Well, then once they got their residency at the Holiday Inn uh, in Lexington, Kentucky, a whole lot of weekends, uh, when Papaw would get off the radio on a Friday, he'd head down to Lexington and play with Crow and them uh, on the weekends. A lot of great photos floating around online that you can see of uh, Papaw playing fiddle with uh, J.D. Crow and Doyle Lawson or with Crow and Red Allen. All sorts of great uh, music and, and memories for sure. They remained friends throughout uh, Papaw's lifetime. and uh, I remember growing up seeing Crow and uh, becoming a uh, lightly acquainted with him at festivals or concerts or whatnot, but our friendship really took off in a big way my senior year of college. I stretched a four-year degree into six because I was working part-time at the radio station, and I went to Cedarville University. My degree was in American Studies. It's in the history department. So my last semester of college had to write a big history term paper, big research paper, but it could be about anything in American history, anything at all. And I chose the classic 1975 album from J.D. Crow in the New South, referred to affectionately as Rounder 0044. It's stock number. That's the one with J.D. Crow and Tony Rice, Ricky Skaggs, Bobby Sloan, and Jerry Douglas. My senior year was 2015. That was the 40th anniversary of that album. So I wrote a big term paper all about Rounder 0044, and it was even uh, the bulk of it was converted into a pair of... Uh, articles for Bluegrass Unlimited magazine that fall. But uh, when I was researching 0044, I was so grateful to interview uh, over two dozen uh, folks for the paper, including Mr. J.D. Crow. Uh, Dad gave me his phone number. I gave him a call, introduced myself. He told me to come over. And uh, I think I think that day alone, we sat and uh, chatted about his career for at least five hours on tape before we went to Cracker Barrel with Frank Godby and chatted for another two hours. And ever since then, we've just, uh, we just hit it off. We were great friends, interviewed him several times for different projects throughout the years. And, uh, when, 
My wife and I started dating. Santana, of course, you hear her talking about Samson's hair care. She really likes it when I put the Samsons in. Uh, but Santana's from East Tennessee, and I'm from Southwestern Ohio. So about the best halfway point between the two is Lexington, Kentucky. So a lot of times if Santana was coming up, uh, to spend the weekend in Ohio, I'd meet her in Lexington. We'd leave her car there and uh, take her to Ohio. So that way she only had to do half the trip by herself. Well, uh, with all us, uh, with all of our running back and forth between the volunteer state and the Buckeye state and making pit stops in the bluegrass state, handful of times a year, uh, I'd call Mr. Crow up and, uh, He'd meet us for supper at Cracker Barrel, or uh, we'd uh, get in a good visit uh, during uh, our many hurried southern trips, and always had a great time, and I, uh, I miss my friend dearly. Passed away Christmas Eve 2021. Well, uh, the previous holiday season, on Christmas Day 2020, one of the most famous alums of the New South, Tony Rice, passed away. And so just a few days after Tony passed away, uh, Mr. Crow was so generous in uh, allowing me to interview him about his dear friend, Tony Rice. For those of you that don't know, I'm a radio broadcaster on Real Roots Radio. You can listen online at realrootsradio.com or download our free Real Roots Radio app for your smartphone or tablet. We play all sorts of real deal country and bluegrass every day. Everybody from Chris Stapleton to Johnny Cash and uh, Rhonda Vincent to Leanne Womack, Flat and Scruggs to Merle Haggard, uh, Dolly and... Uh, Porter and Joe Mullins and the Radio Ramblers. You'll hear it all every day on Real Roots Radio. And I'm on the air weekdays 10 a.m. until noon spending the best in Americana, bluegrass, and country music. I play a little bit of everything, uh, so it's always a great journey through American Roots music weekdays 10 to noon Eastern on Real Roots Radio. It was on my radio program that I was able to feature uh, my final interview with J.D. Crow, that was the purpose of uh, me interviewing him, was uh, for our radio audience to hear from J.D. about Tony Rice. Yesterday, I mentioned uh, our Bill Emerson episode was a couple of firsts. It was the first time we'd had technical difficulties in an interview and didn't realize it until we got back. And it was also our first posthumous interview. Today is our first phone interview. That is not something that's going to be the norm. This is a special occasion with it being J.D. Crow's 85th birthday. I thought you would enjoy hearing my final interview with J.D. Crow on the legacy of Mr. Tony Rice. I think you'll enjoy hearing some really cool stories. that I Some of these stories I had not heard anywhere else about J.D. and Tony, and I think you'll, uh, you'll enjoy them as uh, we celebrate J.D. Crow today on what would have been his 85th birthday. I'll let you enjoy this. I'm getting ready to head to Crow Fest uh, to celebrate all things Crow today. Here's my final interview with J.D. Crow. Thank you. It's the Real Roots Radio podcast, on-demand content highlighting the best information and entertainment from the Real Roots Radio team. Here's Daniel Mullen sitting down with one of today's top music makers on Real Roots Radio. Welcome back to Real Roots Radio. It's my honor and pleasure to have a Bluegrass Hall of Famer, J.D. Crow, on the air today talking about uh, his late friend, Mr. Tony Rice, that passed away on Christmas Day, 2020. Mr. Crow, I, I wish you could be joining us over uh, happier circumstances, but well, 
uh, for the first say, you can drop the Mr. Deal. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> I think you and I know each other long enough. We can go by first names. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so what's this Mr. Deal here? Okay. No. Anyway, well, it's good afternoon to you. Uh, to be honest with you, it's still morning to me because uh, I stay up late and I sleep late. So, you know, <laughs> but that's what retirement's all about. But anyway, uh, yeah, this uh, is uh, it's a sad, sad time, especially for me. Uh, it's like I lost a brother, you know, uh, because that's the way I felt about Tony. You know, he was uh, he was one of a kind, and uh, uh, it was great to work with him in, uh, in a band because he was uh, just uh, so good at what he did. And, uh, you know, the time he spent with the New South was just, you know, we had a great time. We played a lot of good music together. And enjoyed the friendship and and all that and uh, yeah it, it, it's it's a great loss to the bluegrass community uh, and also uh, probably other genres of music. Uh, Tony's past and uh, I know he had a hard time struggle for the last couple three years and it's been tough on him and uh, uh, I just think it's it's. It's you know you you hate to say it, but in his condition, he's in a better place now. Absolutely, Absolutely. He, is, he is at rest. He is at peace now. Yeah, you know, and that's and, something uh, he he needed that rest and that peace for a while now. He yes, he did, and uh, and he deserved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, no, we uh, it's it's just it's hard to accept some somebody of that caliber, and especially when you've worked with them. And know him, and uh, probably I know him probably as better as good as anybody did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he was a special person, and uh, he's, he's like I said, he's like a brother yeah. to me. And sure hate to lose somebody like that. And uh, and I'm sure it's a lot of people. Well, I know that they had worked with him uh, for years, down through the years. Well probably feels the same way I do. When did you first meet Tony? Uh, you know, <laughs> that's uh, that's a long story, really, and I don't think we got time to do all that. But anyway, uh, how I knew about Tony was through Bobby Sloan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bobby was uh, one of the members of my band for, for years and years. And... Uh, he he told me about Larry and Tony both uh, years ago. Uh, Larry but, being uh, Tony's brother, Larry Rice. Yeah, see, and there's another thing. I was very fortunate, too, I thought, to have both Larry and Tony in the band at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, because Larry was also a great talent, uh-huh. you know. And, uh, but... Uh, but he and Tony were in the band at the same time. And, you know, and a lot of times that don't work because you know how brothers fight among themselves. Yeah. There's you know, a lot there's of good like and bad a, there. <laughs> well, there's a competitiveness that happens yeah. there, too, see, especially when you're musicians. Mm-hmm. There's that competitive thing. 
you know, <laughs> sometimes that gets in the way of their talent, but <laughs> that never happened with them, not really. Mm-hmm. We just, we had a great time together, and, uh, but anyway, uh, that's how I found out about Tony, actually, was through Bobby Sloan, mm-hmm. and uh, was telling me about both of them, and then when Larry came into the band, when Doyle was still, Doyle Lawson was still with me, mm-hmm. as the old Kentucky Mountain Boys, and Larry came in, and then Larry was telling me about Tony also. And right after that, I'd heard Tony had joined the Bluegrass Alliance. Mm-hmm. And that was really my introduction to Tony mm-hmm. at that time. And uh, and I heard him, and I thought, yeah, this Jack can play, you know. Yeah. And, of course, he was still young and still learning and uh but uh, that that's how that I met Tony. Mm-hmm. And then Larry said, uh, and also Tony, I had talked to him, and he told me at one time, and Larry also told me this, that Tony had said if I ever needed a lead singer to call him. Mm-hmm. And, and I did. But I didn't do it until I heard he was going to leave the Bluegrass Alliance. Is, and then I called him about about it, and that's how we got together. What about uh, Tony's personality uh, made him such a such a unique guy? Um, for Tony was a pretty private person, and so for for folks that yes. have listened to his music for for decades, what were some things about his personality that his fans might might be interested in learning? The thing about Tony. Like you said, Tony was a very private person. Uh, he he didn't like to be around but just like certain people. Mm-hmm. And I think it was probably musicians because he loved the music. And not only Bluegrass, he liked folk music. He liked a lot of jazz music. He had different genres of music. even in, And I did also because we were listening to different styles of music. You know, and... Uh, because he and I would get together and just, even after we played a whole night at the Holiday Inn, you know, how much we worked there. And uh, we would still, after we got off, we'd go maybe over to his apartment and we'd sit down and play till daylight, just me and him. <laughs> listening, listening to different records, Tony had a good ear about finding uh, songs and material that would fit the new style that maybe we could do. And we'd sit there and play like that and uh, listen to different albums and and hear songs and things. Maybe we could do them. And that's what we did. And Tony was very good about that. You mentioned his ability to select songs, and, that, and that's one of uh, the characteristics about him and his music that is so um, revered is he knew how to pick songs that uh, he could deliver honestly yeah. and, and truthfully. And it... It really started to show um, on the the Rounder Double O Forty Four album that turned forty five years right. old this year, but then continued yeah. throughout all of his uh, his recordings as well was his ability to choose songs. What, what were things that he looked for um, when it came time to, to pick a song that he thought he could deliver? Uh, I don't. Well, you just said it right there. It's songs that he felt like that he could sing. Mm-hmm that would fit him. Mm-hmm. 
And 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 that therefore that both of, I was the same way. There's certain songs that you like, but you can't. It, you just can't do them it, it, because it's something that doesn't fit you. You like it and you love to listen at it, but you you just the the deal of trying to do them just really doesn't fit what you feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's the way that he looked at that. Mm-hmm. And then Tony was. Tony was kind of, I would call him a folk ballad singer. Mm-hmm. There, he loved that kind. He loved James Taylor, Gordon Lightfoot, mm-hmm. uh, Jim Croce, uh, different artists. And I did too, man, because I, I listened to those guys. I, I loved to hear them sing. And we got to doing some songs or listening, and we got to thinking, you know, hey, there's a couple songs we might be able to do. Mm-hmm. And that's how all that developed. You know, in that that Tony liked that, and I also liked it. He knew that I liked it, and uh, so he would uh, call my attention to him and say, "Hey, come, let's let's listen, let's see if we can do these." And we did, and uh, a lot of it worked. And of course, some of it didn't. You know, and then I'd bring in some material, and uh, he'd bring in some. So that's how all that developed. What are some ways that? Uh... That being being friends and uh, a peer and a, and a comrade and a brother with Tony Rice impacted you personally. Well, uh, the way that Tony looked at the uh, the music, he was so sincere about it. And of course, I was too. Uh, we wanted it done the best we could do it. And that's what we strive for, and that's what he strived for. He, he, he it, you know, Tony was very serious about his music. Mm-hmm. I mean, anybody he played with, or if he was doing it on his own, he was very serious about it, mm-hmm. and he wanted it as right as it could be, mm-hmm. as they could get it, you know. And that's the way we looked at it. That's why he looked at. It. That's why I liked him so much about. As far as his musical ability, mm-hmm. he was serious about it, mm-hmm. you know, and he picked the songs that he felt he could do, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that's another thing that I liked about him. And he picked the songs he thought the band could do, you know, also. And and it's true, you know, your lead singer, you have to be able to do material that he likes, that he feels like he can do. That, mm-hmm. that That's and that's what you have to do. Hi guys, it's Adam from Samson's Hair Care here. I wanted to let you know that when you use the code BLUEGRASS on our website, samsonshaircare.com, BLUEGRASS will save you 10% and go to support this wonderful podcast the Walls of Time, sharing the history and stories of bluegrass. When did you realize that, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of great pickers, a lot of great singers in bluegrass, and, and most of them have been in your band, it seems. But um, when did you realize that there was something unique about Tony Rice that you just don't see very often, that made him a, you know, a, a once-in-a-generation 
type talent? When did you first realize there was something very unique about him? Well, probably after he was with me. You know, of course, when he first started, you know, it, it was different. Uh, we practiced a lot, and he knew he had to change some of the rhythm 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 patterns that we did because uh, our timing was different than what he had been in the band before. He was still really green when he joined the New South. Oh, yeah. He? Oh, yeah. He was still learning. I mean, he was really just learning. He wanted to grasp everything he could, you know, and he was trying to do it all at once, I guess. And I used to tell him, you know, I'd say, look, and about his rhythm thing, and I'd say, look, here's the deal. If you listen, because I had played with the best rhythm player in the business, was Jimmy Martin. And, uh, my favorite rhythm players was Jimmy Lester Flatt and Clarence White, because I had been listening to Clarence also, and uh, and his flat picking, and you know the you know it is when you're young and you're trying to learn and you, you play everything wide open and try to throw in everything you can. And <laughs> I used to tell him, I'd say, Tony, don't play everything you know in one break. You know, first thing, play play melody. Uh, you know, first is timing and melody. That's what you do. That is the thing about music. Then anything else extra, you can add in a little bit to make it, you know, whatever that you want to do. But you think uh, melody and timing. Space your notes. Don't jam, you know, a lot of notes all together. And I said, you listen. And I remember I used to, I said, listen to Clarence White. Of course, he had been listening to Clarence before, even before uh, he joined me, I think he was listening to him back when he was with the Bluegrass Alliance. And I said, listen to him and see how what I'm talking about, his spacing, his notes, you know, they don't run together. And he plays melody. And he does those cute little runs, you know, after that. And uh, I said, that's what he does. That's what makes him unique. And it totally got he to listen to that well. One night at the Hall of Inn, Clarence White came in. Uh, he was passing through, going somewhere, or had been somewhere, and he stopped at the Hall of Inn where we were playing. Well, of course, I got him up on to do a set with us. And uh, Tony went out and sat down and watched Clarence on stage with us. And I think right there he saw what I had been talking about. Because when Clarence was on stage with us and playing with him, man, it just like opened up. I mean, this cat could play rhythm and play lead, you know, like I've never heard. He was so smooth and his notes separated and his rhythm was just drive. It was there. And he wasn't playing real hard, but you could hear everything he did because he knew how to play. And when Tony saw that, really, that really started him thinking and uh, about that type of thing. And and it changed. And, and I noticed later Tony had that same kind of feel there. And when he did that, it all jailed a lot better. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he just took it from there and went on with it, mm-hmm. you know, and did his thing. And that that's what made Tony. 
But Tony, I knew Tony would would do it. I knew he could because I knew he heard it. It was just going to take him a while to get it together. Yeah. As it does anybody, you know. You don't come in a band and just... I only had two people that ever came into the New South that could walk in and already do the music. It was Ricky Skaggs and Keith Whitley. Uh-huh. When they came into the band, of course, they had heard us before they knew a lot of the material we uh-huh. did. And when they came into the band, it was like they'd been there a year. Yeah. Uh, because they could, they knew. And Keith, of course, knew every song we did. Yeah. And when he came into the band, I mean, he'd just walk up to the mic and do it. We'd maybe run through it one time, that we'd do it. I mean, it was there. Uh, that don't happen too often. No. You know, I mean, well, of course, I understand that. A lot of people don't, they listen to different groups a lot, and they don't, you know, listen just to one group all the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, uh, a lot of times, you know, the talent, some, some are just, uh, they learn it quicker than others. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's just the way it is. Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, I was very fortunate. You know, you've got to have good people. Mm-hmm. You know, one man can't do it all. You've got to have a band. You've got to have a sound that is recognizable, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and, that's that's what I always strive to do, but you got to have good people in there to do it. And one of the best to ever do it was definitely Mr. Tony Rice, who recently passed away. Mr. Crow, yes. what do you think that Tony's legacy will be in in bluegrass and beyond? Uh, well, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, there's nobody can touch him. Mm-hmm. You know, and what I mean by that, I mean. And there's a lot of good pickers out there. I'm not saying there's not. There's a lot of good pickers. But Tony had a way with his playing that, uh, I mean, a lot of people think he played guitar real hard, real, real, you know, hit it real hard and stuff. But he didn't. Tony played a lot of times on stage when we were singing. He would play just enough that I could hear that guitar just enough. He wasn't playing hard, but I could still hear it. You could hear it. And that's the secret of an instrument, playing your instrument, is learning how to play without having to beat your instrument to death. You know, a lot of people I call thrash and bang and, you know, and, and man, they just, they just play the tone out of the instrument totally, you know. They don't leave anything there. But Tony could take a guitar, any guitar, and play it. And you you hear it, but you, you look at him and you watch him. And he was playing comfortable. He wasn't playing real hard. Mm-hmm. But you hear it. He knew how to get tone out of an instrument. And, uh, and I think he studied that also as well as his playing, is how to get that tone out of an instant. And I think that's one thing that really drew me to him as far as being a musician, because that's the thing I always studied, you know, is get the tone out of your instrument. Mm-hmm. If you got a good instrument, then you have to learn how to play it to get that tone out of it. His, his legacy, I mean, you know, I don't know 
Uh, all I know is, uh, to me, there'll probably never be another one mm-hmm. like that. Uh, I'll put it that way. With the talent he had and the knowledge that he had of the music, mm-hmm. you know, is what impressed me about him. And he wanted to learn. He wanted to learn, uh, you know, different genres. Uh, he picked two or three genres of music, and he really stressed and learned. And he did it well, you know. That's such a great lesson to, to all of us, but especially any uh, young artists or young pickers out there, was Tony's ability to, to always want to be learning and also to not pigeonhole himself. I mean, we all love bluegrass and and you're a yeah, great example yeah. of this as well, but learning about other types of music, inclu- right. in addition to bluegrass or in addition to you know your primary love, uh, can help right. can help you grow as as a musician leaps and bounds. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, that's that's the way I always thought about it, and uh, that's the way he did too. Because I always like to take different genres of music and bring them into the style that I was playing if it fit, you know. And uh, I know I've tried things, and uh, I think after I did them, I said, no, that's not going to work, you know. It don't. It just doesn't feel right, you know. And, and there's material out there that it doesn't sound right. You might do it, but it really doesn't sound like it should, you know. But learning how you can make those parts and pieces and influences fit together into something that is uniquely you is is an art that uh, very few artists get to, and uh, you you were right. great at it, and and Tony Tony was exceptional at it as well on blending all right. that stuff to make it cohesive and work. Um, right. Yeah. You, you've uh, you and Tony made a lot of music together, both uh, on record and on stage. And uh, right. he was on uh, some New South records, and, and you were on some yes. Rice records. You guys made some great music right. with the Bluegrass yeah. album band. <laughs> if, if you had to right. pick a, a, a favorite record, or even if it was a favorite song that you and, and Tony made together, or, the, or that's just one of your favorite Tony recordings in general, what, what are some of your, your favorites? Well, you know what, uh, Daniel, this... That's a hard question. Very there. hard question. I, uh, <laughs> you know, because me, I like so many different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like a lot of the, st- the stuff we did. Uh, but everything he did was good. That's, yeah. You know, all of his CDs were good. Yeah. You know, uh, he he got out there a little further on some of them. You know, his yeah. later ones. Yeah. And of course, he was learning more as he went. And, uh, but they were all good, you know. And as far as what we did, I tell you, uh, you know, of course, old forty-four. What can you say about it? You know. Uh, but you know, to be honest with you, I liked a lot of the Bluegrass album band things. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because that's what we all grew up on. Mm-hmm. That's what we all loved, and that's really what we wanted to play, mm-hmm. actually. <laughs> but. You know, you had to do something beside that. Yeah. You know, you had to get something different. But I think that's why those Bluegrass Album Band records or CDs did good, because the way they felt, because we all grew up on that music, and we was playing tribute to the guys that did it. We wasn't trying to sound like them. Yeah. 
we were just played it like we heard it. We played those songs like we wanted them to sound. It's a it's a great uh, that, example on you know the album band you and Doyle and Todd Phillips yeah, and Bobby they, Hicks and, yeah. and Tony. Uh, it's a great example of just because someone has new ideas doesn't mean that they're still uh, that they're not passionate about you know traditional bluegrass and you know Tony you right. hear all that space grass albums and the jazz stuff which is absolutely oh, exceptional yeah. but he had a real heart and a passion for traditional bluegrass music didn't he. Oh, yeah, he did. That was his first love. Mm-hmm. He'd tell you that. That was his first love. But like everybody, like I said, you can't do that. You've got to do something a little different. Mm-hmm. Because that's already been done the best it'll ever be done. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no way, you know, the people that did that, that laid the Flat and Scruggs era, uh, the way they laid that music down, I defy anyone to ever try to beat that because that won't happen. Mm-hmm. They did it the best it will ever be done. But they did it their way. If you're talking about that, there's there, everybody can play it, but it don't sound like they did. Mm-hmm. You know, there again, that, that's, that was the time, the era that it was, and they were the big dogs in that right there. I mean, we all, myself, Tony, we all grew up learning from that. They paved the way. They set the bar. And believe me, it's high. <laughs> I don't think it'll ever be uh, beat. I don't. Well, and you and I were talking off air. We talk about setting the bar about, uh, you know, to you, the music of, you know, Flat and Scruggs, that, that bar sets a high. You don't know if anybody... Lever top it. You you said that you think Tony set the bar so high in acoustic guitar that oh yeah it won't be topped. Yeah, yeah I, I don't think you know. And there's a lot of good guitar pickers out there. Oh yeah, I know some that you know good guitar pickers, mm-hmm. but they're not Tony. Yeah, because he was unique. There was only and, one Tony Rice. That's right. That's right. And I. He stood beside me for four and a half years, and I know what he could do. Yeah. And I've played with other pickers that are good pickers. But when you stand beside Tony, there's a difference. Yeah. And it's hard to describe the difference. Mm-hmm. But it's there. I can feel it. Mm-hmm. And he could. Mm-hmm. Because when he played bluegrass, he played it then like it was that was the only thing in the world yeah. because he felt that yeah but then when he played jazz his style he thought that was it that's the only thing going that's the only thing in the world he played it with that feel that mm-hmm. was him you know doing that and uh, he was very passionate about playing music you play it with the feel and the best you can and that's what man. And he studied all aspects of the music and the the rhythm, which is very important. And the lead, there's 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 pickers out there that uh, guitar, acoustic guitar players that play great lead, but the rhythm is a little bit lax. Mm-hmm. See, he didn't do that. His rhythm uh, was really overshadowed, really, by his flat picking, his mm-hmm. you know, yeah. his lead picking. Uh, 
stuff. But he he was a great, Tony was a great rhythm player. Mm-hmm. Played so fluently. Just uh, he started to strive. He didn't play hard. He didn't you know, you didn't look like he was already doing anything. <laughs> but you heard him. Yeah, he was there. It was just the touch. Thank you so much for the for the time to share with our uh, our listening audience today some some memories and some thoughts on your friend Tony Rice. I appreciate it. I know our audience does as well. All right. Well, you have a good day, and you have it all day long. <laughs> you too, sir. How about that? <laughs> okay. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you. And, uh, and you, you take care. Everyone has time for good music. You got time to breathe. You got time for music. The Daniel Mullins Midday Music Spectacular. Weekdays 10 to noon on Real Roots Radio.